Welcome to a Modern Man Podcast. I'm your host, J.D. Farrell. Beautiful day. We just had a great Juneteenth this past weekend. So I hope you all celebrate. I hope you all are out there celebrating freedom because that's what it is. We're just celebrating freedom, nothing else. And I would love for you, you got to listen to Brianna Donnell. That's what I'm talking about specifically with her on her podcast this week. So, yeah, happy belated Juneteenth, and I hope you all had a marvelous party your ass off this weekend. Remember, I got Fargo Watch Party every Friday with Stephen Merriweather. That podcast comes out. And then check out the modern.fm. Remember, we're brought to you by the Modern Podcast Network. Now, today's podcast, again, you didn't see it coming, but we're going to do a solo pod. I had some things come up with the people I was supposed to be interviewing this week. So we're going to do a solo pod, and I'm kind of interviewing myself. So I haven't really given many people a little background about kind of who I am, just my, just how I became, you know, the modern man I am today. But... That's what I'm going to do on this podcast. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I remember from my childhood, my upbringing, and kind of what brought me to these 27 years on this earth as much as I can remember. So we're starting back. People want to talk about childhood trauma. My childhood trauma is its not big enough that it cripples me, but I just don't remember a lot of my childhood. I do remember... I was immediate. I was in and out of foster care since two, so foster system is all I kind of ever known. I know my biological mom. I've always known her name, Monica Brandy Watkins. For none of you that know, I was actually born Orenzia Darnell Watkins. So you know me now as JD or James Darnell Farrell. Well, for the first eleven and a half years of my life, I was Orenzia Darnell Watkins. Still went by Darnell, but yeah. That was my name. Biological mom was Monica Brandy Watkins, and I had a biological half-brother, different dad, same mom, brother Dennis Joshua Watkins. And from the time I can remember, I was passed from foster home to foster home. Not really because of anything I did, but my brother, he was a few years older, just like two and a half. But he was maybe six one by... Maybe I would say maybe like five, eight by seven, eight years old. Because I know by fifth grade, he was six one six two. To where just being so big and obviously black, obviously got in a lot of disputes between different foster parents that we lived in. So he was constantly getting passed from foster home to foster home. And I was just kind of the tail end, like I would just get... When he would get moved, then they're like, give it two or three months for him to get stable. And then I would get moved shortly after. So I went through maybe 10 or so different foster homes. Like, of course, you get spanked, you get whipped. I remember the one I stayed out the longest. I think we called her Aunt Barbara. And that was 
I'm just, I'm admitted on the podcast. I had my first sexual experience at like maybe five years old. The girl at the foster home, I guess you can call it, what, assault? But I, yeah, whatever. I think she was maybe 12, 13. And that was, yeah, I went down on a girl. And I was just a five-year-old kid. And I didn't like it. And it was, yeah, it was hairy. And I just I definitely vomited after that's what I do remember from my first kind of sexual experience. But it happened at that foster home. There was a bunch of different foster kids. I remember there was pecan trees in the front yard. Pretty sure it was in Jacksonville, Florida. I don't remember the specifics, but I'm pretty sure most of my foster system was in Jacksonville, Florida. I was born, by the way, in North Carolina. but I, And my brother was born in Michigan. So I know I spent some time a little in North Carolina and Michigan. But mainly was Jacksonville, Florida. And then I remember, I know from there, there we stayed maybe a year or two. And it was all right. Like, you know, when we were loud at night, you would come in, stick your hand out and spank you with the belt on the hand. We'd get the switch. I remember the dad or foster dad, he was a truck driver. But, yeah, it was, that was definitely in Jacksonville because we ate a lot of pork chopping grits and catfish and grits and some crab legs. But after Aunt Barbara, I remember he got into it. I don't remember specifically what happened, but DJ, as my brother went by, did something to get shipped off. And I know they took him to the intermediate place, but inevitably he went to the Florida Baptist Children's Home then. And I'll, I'll skip over. I will stay there for a while. But before that, then I went to this other foster home. It was, I was there maybe a month or so. I think they were like hoping to find me a spot at the children's home. And I just remember it was just, you know, it was just another home. It's kind of crazy as a kid seeing that you go to all these different homes and just kind of sit there. Like you just, like it is what it is because they have kids and like you just kind of fit into whatever family unit they have. That's kind of why when people like describe to me different ways about their family, I'm like, I'll never understand like the love a traditional family has because just the shit I went through. Not that I care. Like, it's just kind of, it is what it is. You may love your family, and your family may be alcoholic abusers, but you have some familial bond with them. Yeah. It's a crotch and a good thing. But I remember the first day I paid one of the older brothers to get me candy there, and I had a bunch of candy, and then I went, yeah, that's about all I remember much of there. Like, and I went to the school. I remember watching Slim Shady videos on the TV. Because that was about 2000. So that was when Eminem was popping. Or going into 2001. And after a couple short months there, not really doing much, getting much into anything. I remember she was short, black lady, little fro. Then I got transferred to the Florida Baptist Children's Home. I stayed there for about four and a half years. It was nice. Got there at seven. 
it's cool. You get there. I like they like find a church who sponsors you. So I get this huge church, you know, a whole church body sponsoring one little black kid. So when I get there, there's toys, games, all this like fun stuff on the bed. And I got there at the perfect time because as soon as I got there, like I was the last kid to be able to get sponsored by a church. And then slowly the people like before me, they were losing their sponsors. Like, I guess like churches just going under and stuff, but I had a big church and they would always give me dope, dope, dope ass shit. But I got to the Florida Baptist Children Home in I believe like September or so of 2001. Yeah, right before September 11, because I started second grade. I had Miss Ketchum's class. So it must have been August. I started there like right before the school year started. Went to Love Grove Elementary. The Florida Baptist Children Home where I lived was right across the street from the elementary school. So we had all literally just walked to school. But I had Miss Ketchum's class. Of course, most people remember where they were. Then 9-11 happened. But I'll kind of go through a little bit of my experience and not skip over too much of what happened at the Baptist home. But I don't want to spend too much time. But I honestly enjoyed it. People think, oh, you lived at a group home. Oh, my gosh, it must have been horrible, an orphanage. Because most of the people that lived at the group home were not going back to their families. But how, like, I hate, like, the commercialized whatever of Christmas, everything. But since most of us had churches sponsoring us and had all these different benefit groups, like, Christmas was awesome. Like, I could feel a living room like a big living room with how many presents I would get at Christmas because it's not just like my church sponsored me and then all these other random organizations would sponsor us but I would we would have like 10 Christmas parties leading up to Christmas like from all of these different organizations who just want to like help out the less fortunate kids and we get like three or four presents at each party so yeah that was super cool and we also got to go on vacations. Like I went whitewater rafting one time with these people that like had a cabin in South Carolina and they had a pontoon. Like I think we went there like three times, like twice when they worked there and then they retired and then like built up their cabin in South Carolina. And then we went and stayed in their cabin like offshore and did whitewater rafting. Every time we would have like lake days and got to do, uh, like every summer, like three times a summer, and do a bunch of, uh, what's it when you're on the floating device? Tubing. Like, you know, a lot of poor black kids aren't going tubing on the lake. And it was just so many different experiences, like doing triathlons, because we also, I was a phenomenal horseback rider. That's what I got to describe a little to you about the Florida Baptist Children's Home. It wasn't, uh, what's her name? Not Matilda. Annie. Annie was the orphan. But Annie's was a big orphanage. It looked like a, you know, New York apartment building or something that was just scary. And when it rained, like there was ghosts and shit like that. But no, this wasn't that. We had four different cottages or houses. They called them cottages, but they had like 10 bedrooms. And 
they had enough quarters for like a, each family on each side, like because the each fam each house was ran by two sets of quote unquote house parents, like foster parents, but we called them house parents. So they had a few bedrooms in each wing for them, and then they had about three or four bedrooms in the kids side for the kids, and it was a couple of us to a room. So we had an older boys, younger boys, older girls, younger boys, whatever. There was four houses for split up between older, younger girls and guys. And there was also this main like cafeteria event center where we would have a lot of events and that had a huge library. And then we had a giant field with a flagpole. And we also had, wait for it, a barn with like 10 horses. That's right. A barn with, I'll go, I was a horseback rider. I was a phenomenal horseback rider. I was in horseback riding competitions and I won so many blue ribbons. Like how many little black kids, you know, riding horses? This guy was riding horses. We did horseback riding, I believe, like three times a week. Oh. And then, you know, we had enough land for the horses. You have to have pastures. We had like three pastures. And then, of course, all the stuff to have to run it. And then we had a lake with, you know, a little paddle boat that would go out there. But had a little lake, paddle boat. Had this whole baseball field with this grill out activity center. And that's where, I don't know if I got into it already, we hosted a couple triathlons. So, again, poor little black kids are running triathlons, biking, swimming, running, doing these little things that, you know, aren't usually being able to sign up for. We also, yes, had a pool. We had a basketball court on the property because when we played, of course, little black kids were playing basketball like we signed up for Upward. Yeah. We were hosting the games. And it's cool because, like, we're – half of us are enough to make a team anyway – so it's so cool. It was cool living there like that aspect because when you went to school, you went to school with like eight of like your homies and like people want to try and make fun of you for being a foster kid living at the group home. But what are you going to make fun of all of us? Like we outnumber you always like you're not going to pick on us. So that was awesome. It was always had people to play games with, play anything with. And then whether you mix, mix the you know, cottages, you always had like guys and girls. That's so many people that like you could just always could just play with. And I didn't reach puberty yet when I lived there. So my hormones weren't even flowing. So I wasn't even thinking about that. But going back to the pool, we also lived in Jacksonville, Florida. I was a surfer, literally little black kid, horseback riding, Literally galloping, jumping, fucking trotting, doing the whole damn thing. And then on top of that, a skilled swimmer and then a surfer. We would do sunrise surfing. Literally a little 10-year-old kid going out to the ocean and sunrise surfing at, you know, 5, 6 a.m. It was nice. It was great opportunities that you just normally just don't think about. And even just like I said, that church that sponsored me, they bought me a fucking surfboard. Like, that's, that, like, cool shit like that. 
But then there was these house parents that came to work there. It was when we went to New Smyrna Beach, had this vacation, and we had an amazing time, and they brought their family, friends, kids. And they came, we hit it off, had a great time. And they were like a missionary work. And we're kind of like yada, yada, yada. We had such a great time. They came to work there. Nine months later, they adopted me and my brother. Like, yeah. Like, I was kind of like, yeah. Happened like that. So awesome. You know, I got adopted. Like, it was... At one point, too, when I was staying there, they made me and a bunch of the other little black kids make a video to send out to churches saying, like, how cute we are and how we need to get adopted. <laughs> like, please adopt me. Like, we didn't do shit like you saw in Like Mike with Bow Wow where they have, like, opened adoption interviews where you can go and, like, ooh, I like this kid. But no. They did the 21st. They, they make us make a video of ourselves and like sell us like it's a car. Like, oh, look at him. That kind of stuff. But no, I was adopted and I was happy because it was like, yeah, it was cool. Got to leave the foster system. Hell yeah. And one big mistake was when I was first wanting to get adopted, I was just like, they're like, you can change your name. And I'm like, I can change my name. I'm a huge Colts fan. So I was trying to name, and the last name was Farrell, so I was losing the name Watkins, and I was going to gain the name Farrell. But I could change to the other two. And I'm like, people, I never went by Arenzia, and people would be like, Arizai, Arizai, Arizai. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to get rid of that. You know, get rid of that name, change it. But then I'm like, what about Peyton Manning Farrell? People call me Peyton Manning. I like that. <laughs> that was my fucking mentality. Yeah, that, and then I'm like, you know, Marvin Harrison, Farrell. Like, no. And then Edron James, Farrell. And then, like, nothing. And if people are wondering how the name J.D. James came, it's because we couldn't come to a decision and they have, there's a, my grandpa's name is James. I have a cousin who's named after him named James. And the running back, Edron James. And that was like something we talked about. And I was like, I might do that. And then you already put in the paperwork. So then, James. Yeah. That's why I was like, I own it now with JD. But it's just like, yeah, James means nothing to me, unfortunately. Like that part of my name. But we're going to, this this is where it gets a little shaky waters. And we're going to jump around here and you're not going to make any sense. But we're going to do the damn thing. Like we said, I'm, I'm telling you a little bit how JD became JD. But then, of course, most of the trauma don't remember most happening, most things happening. Then we left Jacksonville, we moved to Tampa. And I don't know, I thought things were fine in Tampa. I don't really know. I'm, what, still 11, just going through life, going through the motions. I definitely gained a lot of weight because I never had the freedom to kind of eat what I wanted, watch the TV I wanted. So I swear I put on like 40 pounds immediately. 
and I was just just because I was eating a bunch of late night and watching a shitload of Disney Channel, and because I never had unlimited Disney Channel, the Baptist home had a lot of rules and restrictions. I didn't get into this. I'll do this real quick before we continue. They had levels. It was like bad was red, yellow, green was like the basic. Like you're not bad, you're not good, but like you're good, you're okay. Then there was like silver and gold. And most people are honestly just because, you know, you're dealing with kids who have a lot of psychological issues, a lot of other damage. Most of the kids were honestly on yellow or below. Like you rarely had kids on green. And it was like shit my whole life. Like I was always on silver. Like I was almost always on silver. It's hard to get gold because it was, I forgot what you had to do, but it was just, I was a couple points away and it's like, you can do everything right, but it's like, you have to like constantly go above and beyond and get perfection at everything. And it's just like a later bedtime, more uh, privileges to watch TV, longer video game hours, like different things like that. And so even with me always being on silver and getting like alone time to watch TV when kids are going home, I still didn't have this much freedom. So I definitely just couldn't control it, gained some weight. But that was, we only stayed in Tampa too for like maybe seven, eight months. And then I don't know what happened, but my brother wasn't there anymore. And I, we were moving to Ohio. And I just remember a conversation with my dad going, you know, you can go back to foster care with your brother or you can stay here with us. And like, like I said, going through foster care since two and always like this was the pattern. And of course, other people have that familial bond. But literally my whole life was, you know, all right. We get, go together, then DJ does something, and then we get separated for a few months. Then I go back to him, then he does something, we get separated. Like the whole time, the four years I lived in the children's home, he lived on the whole other side of the campus because he lived in the older boy's house and I was in the younger boy's. So it's like we always had that distance. And... I just get hit with the ultimatum as an 11-year-old kid, like, go back in the system and or just stay here, you know? And it's just like, I'm like, I kind of like it here. Like, I can just, you know, just kind of chill. Like, this is, is this what normal life is? Like, I can, I like this. And, you know, that was my mentality. I'm not thinking of, like, you know, blood and all this. And so that's what happens, and I don't really question much either. And I remember hearing, like, you know, we can't really have contact till 18. So, you know, I'm just in survival mode. I'm just going through the motions. And we, then we moved to Ohio. And nothing really at all happens in Ohio. I, it was just kind of nine months of time. And then we go to Texas, you know, Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas. Not Dallas. That's a Drake lyric. But. Yeah, Houston, Texas, Katy, Texas. And love Houston. Houston was definitely home. The first year I was finished, because that's when I ended up skipping a grade. And I just did two years in one because I was homeschooled. First year homeschooled in my life. Definitely a public school kid. Prefer the public school. 
uh, doing a lot of skateboarding. Like I said, we left the ocean. So when I moved to like Ohio, we re- I really started skateboarding. And, you know, I'm pretty athletic, so it's pretty good. And we were homeschooled that year, and we did a lot of skateboarding. And then come the next year, that's then freshman year, entering high school, started playing football, and quit skateboarding because not a lot of free time. I'm also, you know, 220-pound, 13-year-old kid. Skateboard's a little small for me. Like, I, I feel a little big. And... Yeah, that's also that's the year I met my best friend to this day, co-host Fargo Watch Party, Stephen Merriweather. Met him, went to private school for the first time, Texas Christian. That was not the best experience. Like I'm so happy I met Stephen. Met some people there I'm still kind of cordial with, you know. I would like to be cordial with all my all the people in my life. But there were so many scenarios there that was just so fucked up. And it's just like, I realized so much when I was younger, I was just in survival mode. And I wasn't really consciously aware of things that were happening to me and kind of the surroundings. But like things to start was me and this girl, Becca, we're like flirting. And like, you know, she kept like, you know, touching me and I would like touch you. It was just like a flirty back and forth. And then a teacher found out and wanted to get me for sexual harassment. Like just wanted to just, you know what I mean? Just wanted to put me down because he didn't like me. Like made a whole thing about it. Another scenario, this kid, yes, I wasn't nice about it, but I just told him like I didn't really like him and my friend didn't really like him. And we just... He just kind of annoyed us and what, call it a bully, but who wants to hang out with people you don't like? And we told him, like he kept trying to hang out with us and we didn't like him. So that's all it is. I mean, we're, I don't know. I didn't really think it was bullying, but then there was a situation where like some people stole his phone or something and they kept like, they kept thinking it was me and then took me to this office and said, we'll take you to court. Like, you're definitely getting expelled. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then it comes out, there was these two other guys, like the best athletes on the team, who stole the kid's phone and was doing And I'm like, yeah, I have no fucking idea what y'all are talking about. <laughs> like, and that also stems, like, both these things happened after, like, one of the head teachers, an ex-Marine, like he's maybe fifty seven or so, six three. I'm was like maybe a five eight, five seven, thirteen year old kid at the time. And yes, I'm a little cocky and I talk like I am I have very ADHD. So in class I can't sit still without talking. So I can be a little out of line, just like always wanting to comment. But we got into it and he wanted to play one on one and I embarrassed and beat him. And then it was like he was out to get me that entire school year, just with little things. And then when we left, because we did, we moved to Oklahoma for the summer. My mom got a job at the OSU, like kind of the dorm area. Hated working with college students, so we moved back within six months. But within that six months of leaving and coming back, they would accept my brother. I was going to say white brother. I was just say it. 
white brother back, but not me. One, who's who the fuck would say that? Like, yes, we'll take this kid, but not this kid. I'm just saying, if I'm a parent, I'm not going to do that. And what did they like? What did they think they were gonna get out of that? And why? Because I just want to tell you, yes, my brother was a great athlete, but he was the one involved in stealing the phone, not me. Like I didn't do anything wrong, but they just, I just kind of looked the part, and I'm outspoken, so, yeah. But only you know went there. And then went to Seven Lakes the next three and a half years. That was a huge, huge school in Katy. And that was, was alright. You know, it was just big. Super rich kids. I feel like like I'm not really friends with anyone from there. The experience from there was like that was high school. Like that was high school. You maybe see on the movies. Just cause it was just just so fucking big. But I mean, I didn't have a bad high school experience. I just didn't have anything long-lasting. Like, I'm better friends with, like, the people who are older doing things I enjoy, traveling, working out, that I did go to high school with, and I'm more comfortable, like, DMing them on Instagram now, being like, oh, that's awesome. Like, hell yeah. But no one who I had, like, a genuine bond in high school. Then after high school, I first went to Corpus Christi, Texas. I mean, I've been, I was in tech, but that was at A&M. And me, my brother, and his girlfriend, her parents had a house there. And uh, I'm so mad. As a freshman, when we had a house paid for, I took out 20 grand loan from, like, the max. And, like, we didn't even have rent. I'm just like, where did this money go? I know to one, a dumbass surround sound system. But, yeah, don't give a 17-year-old kid, like, six grand immediately. Because, yeah, it was gone within my account within, like, a month. Tragic. But Corpus Christi, that's when I started working in the hospital, you know, found a Re, I've always had a love for cooking and food, but I was working in the kitchen, and I love that. I'd say I still have some friends from Corpus, like some acquaintances, but for the most part, Corpus Christi is a closed chapter in my life that I just don't really revisit because I was just young, dumb, stupid, and did some like fucking horrible shit. <laughs> Not horrible, just like some shit I'm definitely embarrassed about. Cause I was fucking 17, living on my own. Yeah. Wouldn't recommend it for anyone. But after Corpus, I moved back to Houston. Went to the University of Houston. Go Cougs. But in Houston, joined a fraternity. An Indian fraternity. Not a Native American fraternity. And... It was fun. I pretty much just partied for the year I lived in Houston. Because I didn't really actually go to school. I just partied and lived on campus for a fucking year. It was fucking amazing. It was literally so awesome. 
my fraternity brothers were just rich and they were cool. And then dudes love to just do drugs. I did so many fucking drugs. Just outing myself on this podcast. But that's all that time in Houston was. A time to do a bunch of drugs. And then after Houston, I went to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. It's like, and it's annoying because my friend says there's something like, he's like, you want to live in Oklahoma. And I'm like, no, I don't. But there's something fucking drawing me here. I got spent like three and a half years here for college. And I'm, I have some good ass friends here. I met some cool ass people. And I, it's just really easy. It's really cheap. And just really easy to just get comfortable. And I don't know. That time when I first moved back, I met some dope ass people. I really started serving at Buffalo Wild Wings. And it was just a lot of drinking, a lot of Adderall, a lot of working. I was not focused on school. I thought I was going to move here and focus on school. No, and that's what I tell people. If you think changing location is the thing that's going to, like, change you, no. You have to also put in the work and, like, try to be different. Like, yeah, you can change the location or try and get a better scenery. But unless you actually put in the work, there's no point. So it took me a while, like another year and a half. And it was just... It was rough. My college experience feels like it was just so rough. And I think like majority of it is because I didn't want to take out a bunch of loans and I wasn't making enough to actually pay for school. So what I would have to do would go for a semester, take like 16 hours and then take fucking the next semester off while I'm paying for that next semester. And then it was just like a cycle. I would just go for a semester then take a semester off so I can pay off that semester and go for a semester. I like it that I did inevitably finish and I got that dumb piece of paper that we all want, especially those that come from, you know, low-income, less-advantaged families. But, man, the journey was a fucking struggle. And in Oklahoma, it was just, I'm just disappointed in the amount of drinking I did. And now I'm like, I love having fun, but I'm responsible about it. Like, I know if I have a test, if I have this, like, I don't need to go get drunk. I don't, I need to actually study. I need to put in the work and the time to do certain things. And I'm also disappointed I didn't surround myself with better people at the time. But once again, you live and you learn. And I don't have any regrets. But... Yeah, I sum Oklahoma up and yeah, spent nothing, no time but drinking and going to school. Didn't really do anything. I did travel a little bit. I went, traveled around, but not much. I feel like it, it all went up and up when I decided to leave Oklahoma. Because right when I was leaving, that's when I did a big guys trip. We did a nice cruise. And then we went to New Orleans and then after that, I moved to New York. And then, oh, 
for the quickest I've ever quit the job. I flew to New York to interview for this job and got a job. I thought it was in marketing. And then as soon as I moved to the city, literally the next week I started. Like, got there, I think, Wednesday, and then started work on Monday. I I like to dress nice, and then they do, <clears throat> like the guys that make the most money do dress like in a suit. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to wear a suit, I'm going to dress as everything. They put you in a suit on the poorest corners in New York to weigh people down, to like scam them into getting a service. Well, okay, because the phone service is free. And we do offer free phones. But your manager says, don't give them the free phone. We'll take those home and give them to someone we know. So say, wave them down, say, hey, free service, free service. And they're like, free. Like, yeah, it's completely free, but you just have to pay for this phone one time. It's a $20 phone. And they're like, because it's like government-based, so they're like, what you do, you tell them to sign up. And if you get their name in the system and they qualify, we got them and we'll keep their phone. But if they buy a phone, then you can give them like it's like $20, $30, or $40 phone and we get over half a commission. So they're like, okay, if you, uh, they get the service and get a phone, you can give it to them. But if they sign up, we still get credit and I still get paid for signing them up, like commission for signing them up. But they don't actually get nothing if they don't buy a phone. We're just kind of bait and switching them. It's, it was ridiculous. And honestly, I worked it for three days, I believe it was. And I was top three in sales every day. Just like, cause I, I thought it, it was just like serving, but not, but instead I'm like groveling and cause it was just a numbers game. It's like you do, whether you're trying to, you know, pick up girls in a bar like Barney from that show, how I met your mother or you're serving tables or anything. It's about percentages and you know, the more times you just put yourself out there, the more you're going to get or fishing. Let's do that. It's fishing. The more fucking hooks you throw out there, the more fish you're going to catch. So I just go out there and I know, like, I'm not going to get anything if I don't at least try. So I just keep waving them down, waving them down, waving them down. But I quit that very quickly and then stumbled right into... I actually, I forgot before, the I got hired on the rooftop quick, but the rooftop didn't open. And then right before the rooftop... I got hired, didn't go. It was a movie theater bar. It was opening in a movie theater, brand new bar. And I'm like, okay, this could be kind of cool. But that shit never opened. It did, inevitably. And I just, I love the training. The guy who trained me there, fucking William, he's on bar rescue. So I got trained by, seriously, one of the best bartenders in the fucking world, okay? None of the other people there were accepting the trainer. They were like brand new bartenders didn't. And if they did, they didn't weren't accepting it how you should. See, I'm being an asshole. But he was a phenomenal trainer and but pretty much I had to work at the movie theater counter with like 16-year-olds selling popcorn and shit. 
And it was like, I would be making great money at the rooftop, but there'd be some rainy days or something. And I don't want to just sit there and do nothing. So I'd go all the way to Queens, like an hour away. Actually, no, it would take like an hour and a half to two hours sometimes to get there. And I would do that just because I'm like, fuck it. Like, uh, I need to need a job and they're paying me. Ugh. So I did that, and then eventually when we were full summer, come like June, because I kept it through May too, I don't know why, like doing it like once a week. Because also I was sociable in the city, they had like 20 people, a shift. It was a good way for me to just be talkative and meet some people. And then once the rooftop was open, the rooftop was awesome, you know. Obviously your boy JD was, you know, partying with people on the rooftop. Drinking, drinking, drinking on the rooftop, getting drunk every night. Just making money, enjoying New York City. And I like to tell people, I had a head start, even though I didn't get to spend that much time in New York City. Compared to someone who's, you know, a programmer and just goes to their office and then tired at night. Or a broker or a teacher. Just anyone who has a normal job or quote-unquote normal job in the city. I felt like I got to experience the city in an accelerated pace. Not only was my bar in the heart of the city, right across the street from Madison Square Garden, but I would I was where the party was every night. I would then go out with other people who were in the party. Like I was always experiencing the city and going out and doing things like five, six days a week because I had to work in that atmosphere. And then after that, I did that. And then after that, I started at Quell. Got there, my best friend, the one I mentioned earlier, Stephen, who partly why I went to New moved to New York, mainly why I moved to New York, not partly. But he helped build the whole website, the whole system, everything for this company, Quell. It was a medical booking platform. And, you know, I was trying to get some tech jobs, and he knew they were just starting, didn't pay well, but he was like, you know, it's a good intro. And I'm like, yeah, I get six months of experience. I like it. Use that to, you know, teleport myself into, not teleport, slingshot myself into a better job. So I got it, started it, and from, like, day one, I was like, fuck this lady. Fuck this work environment. But, like, these people are cool as fuck. And they were. Like, low-key, all minorities, what, four women? Forgot exactly. Like, just such, and the all Ivy League educated, like, it was just such an honor to be in the same, you know, this sounds corny, but breathe the same air as those people. But, and it was just so fun, and we'd hang out, and, uh, like, when I will forever think of New York City, it reminds me of that, like, how Friends was... They would always go out, go down the coffee shop. Imagine that, but the realistic version would would meet up for happy hour, and like that's what we did. We'd even though we worked together, we'd immediately all go out for happy hour. And there's usually like coworkers that you don't like, but we all liked each other, and we just mainly we bonded over the misery too of hating our boss, the CEO. But at the same time, we're all educated. We're all minorities. We're all living in the city. 
pretty like not if you're new in New York City if you haven't lived there ten years. So we're all relatively new in the city and don't know like it was just all shared experiences. So it wasn't like coworkers that were forced to be friends. It was like friends that just happened to be coworkers as well. But we did that and then boom, COVID hit after like, you know, eight months, nine months of working there. And I was planning on just, you know, at this point in life, because about the rooftop was ready to open. They're like, yeah, come on. We're about to start doing everything. And I'm like, I'm going to do New York in the roof, like do the rooftop in summer. And then I'm going to do Miami in the winter and just go boom, 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 make tons of money, live that great bartender life for the next decade. But COVID hit. And even though I'm currently now in it, I'm like, okay, definitely don't want to be stuck bartending. So, you know, I was the first laid off. And it was stressful. I went through some shit. I'm not going to talk everything I went through in the COVID experience, but the positive was I lost a shitload of weight, so that was good. But I was supposed to move to Asia. Then I'm like, all right, I'll go back to where I went to college, Oklahoma, Super cheap, reset, figure out what to do next. And that's what came back here, shadowed and worked with my uncle at his medical practice for like six months. Got that internship to help me for grad school. And yeah, just been figuring a lot of things out. And then I thought I was going to Chicago for grad school. Then I thought I was going to Asia. And yeah, so... Just figuring it all out. So that's kind of like, yeah, what helped me become me, me? I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if I led to it at the right destination, but it's only 27 years of you know my life. I hope it's less than a quarter or less than just about a quarter. And I got many more, many more things to do. I got many more things to accomplish. Next time someone, you know, I don't have some interviews that work out, I would love to talk to you about the things I hope to accomplish in life. And I don't like goals and barriers, but just some things I would like to see done and kind of I can look back on and hopefully say I, you know, got those accomplished. But I hope you accept my story. I hope you don't judge me as much. But I am an open book, so whatever you want to know, just ask me, DM me, let me know. I'm here. But I am a very complicated individual, and I just wanted to express that to you. As of that, that's it for this episode of A Modern Man Podcast. Again, I'm your host, J.D. Farrell, who's with Stephen Merriweather every Friday on Fargo Watch Party, who is also with Brianna Donnell on her podcast this Monday, which comes out every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, a Modern Woman podcast. Remember, we're brought to you by the Modern Podcast Network and the Modern.fm. Stay tuned, keep watching, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Have a good night. <laughs>